Next guest is a four-time Grey Cup CFL champion and is currently the offensive and special teams assistant and personnel consultant with Hamilton Tire Cats. Please welcome Jim Barker. Mr. Barker, how are you? Doing great, Vince. How are you? I'm great. So, Mr. Barker, tell us about your football career as a player and then why did you decide to transition into management? Well, I wasn't a great player. And when I got, I got hurt actually early when I was in high school. So I started coaching kids and my first coaching was coaching Pop Warner football, 12 year olds down in California. And one day I was in college majoring in business. I went home and told my mom and dad, I was going to, uh, I wanted to coach for a living. I was coaching basketball, baseball, and football. And I had my own umpire association in baseball. So I was doing a lot of things and that's what I love was coaching. And so I changed my major at USC to physical education. And I focused on becoming a, you know, as great a coach as I could be. And my mother says, you know, you need to, you need to be able to make a living doing this. And, and uh, it was kind of a funny story. I actually flew her up for my press conference when I was named the head coach in 99 in Toronto. So uh, it was a, uh, you know, I, I spent 20, 20 some years in the U.S. I'm one of the few people that have started at the very low. I was at Division Three, coached the offensive line, and then the guy left, took another job, and got me hooked up at San Francisco State, where I got to work for a guy named Vic Rowan, and I worked with Mike Holmgren, uh, who went on to coach. It was his first ever college job. So I, 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 like I say, I've been fortunate. I'm one of the few people that's coached division one, one double a two and three in the U S. Uh, so I've coached all different levels, kinds of schools, some real academic. It's just been a, a smattering of a little bit of everything. And then in 1994, I got an opportunity to come to Saskatchewan as a guest coach for Ray Yock, uh, who is a legend in his, his own. I mean, that guy was, was brilliant. So I got a chance to coach. Uh, I was a guest coach. I was there during training camp. That was my first foray into the CFL. Then two years later, Bob Price, we had a mutual friend that I had coached at Reno with. And Bob Price got hired as a new coach in Montreal, which was the Baltimore team coached by Don Matthews. Bob had been the defensive coordinator. He got the head job. And I got my first full-time job up in Canada and came up here with my eyes wide open as to the league was very volatile back in those days. Uh, after one year, we ended up losing to Toronto in the Eastern Finals, 1996. And the owners of the team who had come from Baltimore just didn't want to do it anymore. So they just stopped, stopped paying us and they actually bankrupted the, the company. So I was in Montreal with my kids and they were in school. and But I, I, I had prepared for it. and. About two months later, Don Matthews called me to go to Toronto uh, as their offensive line coach uh, and co-offensive coordinator, which I did. And I got to spend a year with Doug Flutie, which was one of the great experiences. Uh, and I grew up as a coach. Don left and went to uh, Edmonton in 99, and I was named the head coach for one year. And then they sold, um, actually, Interbrew, who owned us then, sold it. Uh, to Sherwood Schwartz, and he had his own people he wanted to bring in, and so I never got fired from that job. I went to I went to the office in Mississauga, put my key in, and it didn't work anymore. So I called the league office. I said, "So what's up? I can't get in the office anymore." And they said, "Oh yeah, we sold the team. We should have told you." So 
<laughs> so like I say, I've had some great fun experiences in the CFL. Then went to the States. I coached one year in the XFL, the one that made it a full season. And with the XFL folding recently, it secures, I have one of only 50 championship rings in XFL history. So there won't be a champion crown this year. So that ring stays uh, very, very valuable because not very many people have it. So I, I coached the XFL one year. We won the championship. I then came back, went to with Don to Montreal. And that, that was Anthony Calvillo's first year of winning an MVP. And, you know, I was now at this point working with quarterbacks and I was the offensive coordinator. And we went, went on and won the Grey Cup there. And then I went to being a head coach in Calgary uh, that I probably wasn't ready for. Uh, but if you wait till you're ready, you're probably never really ready. And because uh, it was taking over a tough situation. The owner had bought the team so his son could play quarterback. And I was coming off of a year with Tommy Maddox, quarterback, winning the MVP in the XFL. Anthony Calvillo winning the MVP in the CFL. And I figure I can handle a dad whose kid is a quarterback. And uh, needless to say, after my first year, I we released him. And then I got released two days before Christmas. So... <laughs> You know, it's 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 been a it's been a wild ride in the CFL, and opened up a football school in Calgary because I just I love Canada, and then a year later, John Frizzani and uh, Ted Hellard and you know some of those people bought the team from the from the guy who owned it for his kid to play quarterback, and they asked me to be the general manager, so I went out and uh, I had never done it. I had done some, you know, obviously you look at film and scout, but I told them, oh yeah, I can do this. And Rosani gave me a wad of cash, like rolled up and said, head down to the States and uh, find us some players. So I kind of got inundated into the whole scouting world and I was the only person there, but I got to know personnel people. And when you're in football, one of the biggest, I think in any sport, one of the biggest splits is between coaching and personnel, um, you know, everybody's in, a, it's a cover your ass business, try to keep your job. And people in coaching say, we don't have good enough players and people in personnel say they're not coaching them well enough. And, you know, they, and they all have different ways of talking and they have different vernaculars. And so I'm sitting with the scouts now and I'm trying to learn how to be a scout. So I took two years there in, um, in Calgary in 2005 and six and, they had won, I think, three games in 2004. I got fired in three, and I only won five games. The next year, maybe they won four. I don't know. Matt, a good friend now, Matt Dunnigan, took the job. And uh, like I say, they just, Frizzani and them blew everything out. So our first year, I was the general manager, and then Tom Higgins was the head coach. And we went 11-7 and seven and kind of started to turn the whole uh, thing around and uh, we made the playoffs in, seven, in six, seven. Uh, so 2005, six, and seven. In seven, um, I hired John Murphy, who was, uh, he was basically working for uh, a newspaper company or uh, some kind of media. Oh, Yahoo, Yahoo Sports. And I had met him. And so I brought him up. So I had help in, in that year. And the owners wanted to remove Tom as the head coach and they wanted to hire a friend of theirs who had played with Ferzani and them, John Huffnagel. So he wanted to be the head coach and GM. So I moved from being the GM to being the senior vice president. I was still doing the same things and helped Huff with 
building his staff. We brought Chris Jones, who I've been with in Montreal in as our uh, defensive coordinator and, and Huff hadn't been in this league and he did, you know, he was very open to everything and basically, and we won the great cup in 2008. So that was pretty exciting to take because the team was really in trouble in 2005 when they bought it. And because in four attendance was way down and people just didn't appreciate a guy who was doing what he did with the team. So, and then I was there for seven years in 2010, Bob Nicholson called me with the opportunity to, uh, I was actually trying to help Scott Milanovic get the job here in Toronto after Bart Andrus and something happened in their contract negotiation. I hadn't even thought about coming back to Toronto and something happened in the negotiation. So Bob called and said, Jim, would you entertain coming back potentially? And, you know, anybody's going to come back for the right amount of money and the right kind of power in an organization. So I came back here as the head coach and Adam Rita was here as the GM. And we made an agreement that, you know, I would technically be the GM and Adam was, was fantastic about everything. And the second year, so the first year I, when I was coach, I went in and kind of cleaned because it was the same thing. They had won seven games in two years and the program was, was in a bit of a shambles. So first year I, in 2010, I was able to win the CFL coach of the year and had great assistance that allowed that to happen. And, and then in 2011, we struggled a bit and uh, I resigned at the end of the year because I just, I truly felt you couldn't do both to me, be a great GM and a great head coach. And, and at least I couldn't do it. So, and, and my original plan, I was trying to help Scott get the job was to bring Scott in as the head coach. And, and so I did that and I stepped down in 2011. I brought Scott in as the head coach. And we were also in that year able to consummate the Ricky Ray trade. And then in 2012, we won the 100th Grey Cup, which was which was pretty exciting. So that's, I spent a few more years there. Then they got tired of me. I moved out. I did a year at TV. Now I'm a consultant with the Thai Cats. And when June Jones left, they asked me to coach. So I coached. I went back to coaching, which I hadn't done in since, you know, 1990, really 1996 and seven and eight when I was an assistant coach. Um, other than that, I'd been a head coach and GM. So it was a little bit of a throwback, but it was, I had a blast. There's great people there. And, uh, you know, we had a great season. So that's kind of in a nutshell how I got where I am. That's an amazing uh, career. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. So, Mr. Barker, with having a football career that has spanned over 40 years, how is the game of football, especially in the CFL? Uh, I think when you look at from a football schematic standpoint, a lot of the things that go are happening down in the U.S. now started in Canada. and And it's funny how as you watch things down there that they haven't done. When I went to the XFL in 2001, we were doing some things, you know, with, with bubble screens and attacking zone blitz schemes and things that they hadn't started to do down there. And now it's commonplace, but everything in football is cyclical. I think as you watch the Super Bowl this year, you saw a lot of tight end and double tight and things like that, that, Nobody was doing maybe five years ago, but they were doing back when I first started in coaching. Uh, Bill Walsh was big on having the, you know, the, the formations constricted. And then we went through a period where everybody was spread out. So I think everything kind of, it goes in cycles and the CFL doesn't get near enough credit 
for a lot of the schematic things that eventually end up down in the States, but started up here. That makes sense. Mr. Berger, with being the offensive and special teams assistant and personnel consultant with the Hamilton Tire Cats, what are your tasks and responsibilities? Well, technically, I'm, an, I'm a consultant for Orlando. Uh, Coach Steinauer is he's doing a great job. And my job technically, was, it, it, I was originally hired as a consultant. So I, I help him with personnel, with being a head coach and having to play both sides of personnel and coaching. And basically an extra set of eyes in the building. Uh, that's kind of how it was started. And then when June left and went down to the XFL, it created a, a situation. So Tommy Condell stepped in, did an incredible job, basically implementing his offense in a week. And uh, they asked me if I would go in and help. So I helped and uh, Tommy with the offense and worked with the quarterbacks and, and Tommy and then worked with our tight ends. And like I say, I was basically just an experienced set of ears for him and, um, there, you know, would help with game plan. But I was I was just like all the other coaching grunts in this league that people don't understand. It's a you sometimes forget it's a I was leaving my place here every day by, by five o'clock to get there for you know, early meetings and uh, Orlando would have, we would have coaching lifting sessions once a week. We had things that would be at 6 a.m. And so it was, uh, and then I would get home usually 7.30, 8 o'clock. And that was, that was pretty much an everyday deal when we were in, uh, in game week, when we weren't on a buy. And, and again, you forget what a grind it is. And I have so much respect for guys that are coaching and, People can talk about, you know, how much they pay coaches or what it's you have to, to prepare to put a product on the field that people are proud of is not an easy thing to do. And uh, now, like I say, when I came in this league, there was only four or five of us. And on Don Matthews staff, we had five coaches total. Now we've got uh, I think there's 11 total. So there's twice as many coaches. But that means twice as much work is there. So, uh, yeah, so that's what I do. I basically consult in, in all phases. Now, this year, they made some movements on the staff, so I'm going to help Jeff Reinbold some with special teams. Greg Butler's going to move to just coaching the secondary to free up Mark Washington to do a little bit more. So, oh, just adjust uh, things on the staff to, you know, to try to get the most out of everybody, I guess. How was that transition, Mr. Berker, with not coaching for a long time and then going back to it? How was that process like? It was difficult. It was uh, it was something. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It was it was hard, and it's hard when you've when you've been in charge to now. Sometimes you're asked your opinion, and a lot of times you're not. And that's probably been the hardest thing is just to be my opinion to you know to myself and not not trying to you know when when you're the GM you basically make all the decisions for everybody in the organization and you try to empower those under you and in Hamilton it's a completely different dynamic um, they do things completely differently and so I again I try to advise when asked but not overpower you know the uh, the situation and it, you know like I say last year was a, the most successful year in Hamilton Tiger Cat history and with Orlando Steinauer at the helm, this the, the Hamilton Tiger Cats will be they'll be good for years to come. So, uh, you know, it's been it's been gratifying. 
Awesome. Mr. Barker, many Torontonians know you as the general manager that brought All-Star quarterback Ricky Ray to the Argonauts, and you won the 100th Great Cup at the Rogers Centre. Can you describe the team's building phases to winning that Great Cup? Well, a lot of winning has to do with staying healthy and then having the right blend of players. Maybe one of the most important pickups we made that year uh, was a late signing, Adriano Belli, who people know as the kissing bandit. And he is a, he is a personality like no other. And when he joined our team, man, it was right after Labor Day. I believe it was right after Labor Day. It kind of just solidified our locker room and it takes to win in this league. You have to have that, that great cohesive unit where people understand that the team is bigger than them and fall in into that thing. We had some young players, Dontrell Inman, who stepped in and played great. And Chad Cacker, you know, we made a bold move when uh, we decided to move on from Corey Boyd and get a guy like Chad that maybe fit the thing Scott wanted to do better. Um, But that was not an easy decision. Uh, When I was the year before, we didn't have Ricky Ray and we were a much more run oriented team. So Corey was a, was a great player for us and, and had developed a following in Toronto. And, you know, it was one of those things that was not an easy decision, but it was a decision that had to be made. And so watching some of those things work out is how you win. It just, it's, I mean, if Ricky Ray in, you know, week 15 or 16 goes down with a separated shoulder and doesn't play the rest of the year, chances are we don't win the hundred great cup. I mean, I'm just being honest. It's, it would have been very difficult I mean, Jarius Jackson was our backup, and he was a, a great backup. You know, at the time, Zach Caleros and Trevor Harris were three and four, um, but Jarius was the backup because he was the experienced guy. And then the next year, Jarius moved on into coaching, and it allowed Trevor and, and Zach to compete for number two, and then we know what both of them are doing now. So things just kind of fell in the right way for us. And I thought our coaching staff just did a fantastic job of putting those pieces together. Scott was dynamic as a head coach and he will be again in Edmonton. You know, the league is fortunate when you look around, there's some bright young coaches in the league now. And uh, I think the quality of play is going to be at a, an all time high level. Once we can get this thing going after the, after the COVID hits, uh, I think that that the Canadian Football League, you know, people talk about it being a minor league and the Canadian Football League is the greatest three down football in the world. And I think one of the things that the commissioner is trying to do in terms of getting other countries to play three down football, it ties in more to rugby and soccer and things that they're used to. It just makes sense. The NFL, they know what they're doing there and four down football came after three down football the canadian football league came before uh this the national football league and it's only been since the 90s that the national football league has beaten the canadian football league for players and now it's gone you know it's in terms of money it's gone out the you know out the other end because they've done a lot of the right kinds of things but this is the greatest three down football in the world and canadians should be proud of it it's a different game. There's a lot of guys playing in the NFL that could not play in this league. Um, just obviously, there's a certain skill set to playing up here with the rules as such. It's a bigger field. Everybody's moving. The athleticism is shown off 
in this league. I, I, I love the CFL. I've had opportunities to go back south, and I've chosen to stay here. And again, I don't regret that for one second. Mr. Berkey, you made a fascinating point about people thinking that the CFL is like a minor league. I guess my question is, Mr. Berker, what would you say to those that compare the NFL to the CFL? Many would watch an NFL game rather than a CFL game. What would you say to that? Well, I would say you're looking at two different games. You're looking at an NFL game that, again, is the best four-down football in the world, which is a completely different thing than a three down league played on a 65 yard wide field, as opposed to a 53 and a 30 yard wide field. You've got two completely different games. If you prefer the less action and the, you know, that the type of game they play in the U S then God bless you. That's great. Mm -hmm. Some people do. Some people don't. Some people prefer my kids grew up learning football through four down football. But if they have a choice of watching four-down football versus three-down football, they're going to watch three-down football every time. And, uh, again, I think that too often that people misunderstand. It, they think of it like hockey, like you got the NHL and then you got the OHL. And, yeah, they're, they're, it's the same game and there's different levels. That's not what football is. Football is you got great four-down football and you got great three-down football. We were never the XFL. I doubt that this will ever be a theater league for the NFL. Now, there are guys in our league that can play in the NFL. Uh, they're definitely. But, again, on the for the most part, a 330-pound defensive lineman cannot play in the CFL. 330-pound defensive lineman can be great in the NFL where he's playing a gap and the field's small, but he can't play here with a yard off the ball where he's going to be exploited. So, you know, it's just one of those things that I think that you have to understand and appreciate the differences in the games. That's awesome. My second last question for you, Mr. Berker, is more of career industry advice. So what advice would you give individuals aspiring to work in professional football? Be prepared. And some of the laws now have made it more difficult. When I first started, I worked for $500 for a year. Um, you work a lot of time. And make nothing. And when I first, when I got up here, I've had a lot of interns. And back in the days, I'll give you a good example. Chris Rossetti, he had interned in our front office in Toronto um, and then came to me and asked if he could intern on the football. So I didn't know who Chris Rossetti was. He was a quarterback at Guelph. So he came in and he was just one of those guys who knows everybody's name. He knows their background. He knows where everybody in the NFL and CFL, where they're from and all those things. So he just got more and more things. He ended up not playing his senior year at Guelph, working for us for nothing, basically. Um, he was, but I treated him like he was paid a hundred grand, but he didn't make a hundred cents. I shouldn't say that. I bought him an occasional beer, but that was about the, the size of his pay. And he did that for a year. And then the next year I was able to get him a little, maybe gave him a thousand bucks a month or gas money or something. And then he evolved into the point where, you know, he was our guy and uh, he's now, he's the number two pro personnel guy with the Miami dolphins. Uh, his replacement Curtis Truckabina had never done anything in the front office. He's now with the Buffalo bills. So but both of those guys had one thing in common. They were willing to bust their rear ends and they didn't care what they made. All they wanted to do was 
learn the craft and do whatever they had to do. Never once did either one of those guys ever say to me, uh, you know, shoot, I, I'm in personnel. I don't want to go and paint this room. I mean, we had one year where we didn't even have a meeting place. You know, that's one of the things people forget about Toronto. Our place burned down in Mississauga. We were in a couple trailers out there. It burned down. We never got replaced. And we're having to, we painted a closet one year and turned it into our team room. So they're being asked to do things that maybe you wouldn't think you have to do in personnel. Never, never batted an eye. And uh, again, they're both going to be very successful. Spencer Zimmerman, he came in, he's, he's now uh, in Hamilton. He's running the personnel there. And there's uh, a guy in uh, Vince Magri who came in as an assistant video guy uh, and is now basically running the Canadian draft for the Argos. So it's, it's neat to watch these young Canadian guys come in, work their rear ends off and go out and be successful. And I'm proud of all those guys to somebody who wants to do it right now. Matt Houston came in as a, a freshman at Western Ontario and he worked every summer for us with the Argos. Didn't, didn't get anything, came in and just busted his rear. He's now full-time with the Ticats and working in their personnel office. He works both on the Canadian side and on the pro side, but he came in and it's, it's about wanting to learn this and you have to love it. If you don't love it, you have no chance in this because you work a lot of years, you don't make a lot of money. And then eventually, you know, you, if you are meant to be in it, you will make it. Last question for you, Mr. Parker is what does your future hold? Great question. Um, you know, I, I'm loving what I'm doing now. Uh, I, I, I've never worked a day in my life. You know, there's a lot of things that could, you never know what happened. They kind of forget about you though. You get to 60 and then they, People forget about you when these jobs come open. So whatever happens there, I've started a, a company of my own and I, I'm tutoring high-end quarterbacks across both in Canada and in the U.S. I've got youngsters in Hawaii and Charlotte, North Carolina and Chicago and Pittsburgh. So they're they're all over the place, uh, Southern California. And I'm excited about that. I'm getting a chance to take different age players and hopefully turn them into you know, great teammates first, and then into great quarterbacks that can become as good as they can be. And it's just fun to be a part of, of watching them grow. So, uh, you know, what's next for Jim Barker? Who knows? I think I'm trying to get to a point where I rely on myself and I don't have to count on so-and-so hiring me or getting this job or I've just never worried about it. And again, to the, your point about, um, how you get into this business. If you're always, if you get a job and you're always worrying about when you're net, where your next job is, you're not going to have it very long. So work the job you're at, love it. And great things happen for you. Someone told me a long time ago that you can't teach experience. So, um, Mr. Berker, one honor this is to speak with you. You're a CFL legend and, uh, I really appreciate this and, uh, all the best in your family during this difficult time. All right. Thanks so much, bud. All righty. Jim Burgess.